This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. And remember, for all of your wagering needs, it's Bet Rivers in New York and New Jersey, play Sugar House. In Connecticut, as we head towards the month of December, uh, which means we have said goodbye to the college football season and the bowl season is around the corner. A couple of conference championships and Army Navy still to go. And we are moving into the stretch run and it's playoff possibility time in the NFL. Already we had the week 14 flex. Look for more flexes of the primetime game in the weeks to come because they do not have strong primetime games there now. They will be moving games in. There's no question. I'm not sure which ones are protected by the local networks. You know, CBS and Fox get to protect a couple of the games. They can't move them. But there's still other things they're going to take over the games now in the weeks to come. Week 14, they flexed out of Kansas City, Denver. So they've had enough of Denver. Even though it's the Chiefs, they said, nope, we don't want the Broncos. And they went to Miami against the Chargers. So Miami at the Chargers goes to 825 or 815, 820, whatever, kick it off uh, on Sunday night. And Kansas City drops into the 4 o'clock hour with Denver. So that's already a move. Like I said, expect more moves uh, in the weeks to come as we head down the stretch in this NFL season. Uh, And it is a good week of games this week. A really big week of games, as we mentioned. I mean, there's a lot of really... Really good games coming up for week 13. Uh, the locals have a pair, Jets at the Vikings, a big game. Uh, and every big game is big for the Giants and the Jets now as they try to get to the postseason. And each of them has a chance to get there. They're going to have to win three games. And they're both 7-4. and four. They're going to each have to get to 10, most likely to make the postseason. Uh, Jets are in Minnesota. Giants host a hot Washington team, which comes in 7-5. and five. If the Giants want to go to the playoffs, they're going to have to beat Washington. They have to play them twice. They're going to have to beat Washington to get there if you look at their schedule. Uh, you know, the only game that's even reasonable uh, or very reasonable would be the Colts. And they're still a little dangerous, although they play terribly against Pittsburgh on Monday night. Uh, Colts always play bad on Monday night, as you know. They always play bad against the Steelers. Uh, so maybe that's part of it. We'll see how they do. They have the Cowboys this week, as a matter of fact. Um, And then you have the two other games that are really key this week. Good Thursday night game. Big Thursday night game with the Bills and the Pats. But you have Dolphins at the Niners. Two teams really coming on. Two teams that have major, major chances to do something big this year. They play uh, in a big game. And then the Chiefs and the Bengals play. And the Bengals are good. The Bengals have quietly put things at 7-4 and now. They're good. They're a dangerous team, and they know how to play these games, and their quarterback is a a really good big-game player. That's going to be a big game with the Chiefs and the Bengals this week, as we said. Uh, uh, So there's a lot of 
very, very good games there. All right, let's get to the let's get to the emails. Uh, Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com to send your emails. We'll get to as many as we can. Here we go. We started off back in my uh, hometown of uh, Long Beach with Colin from Long Beach. I wonder what your take is on Frank Gore as a Hall of Famer. Uh, is he too much of a uh, compiler? Is he a Hall of Famer based on his durability? He gives him the nod. To me, he's right, right there. It'll be tough for him to get in on a good year. He might sneak in on a bad year. He's right on the right on the cusp. So he he I, he can go either way. He is a bit of a compiler, okay. Um, but he is a very good, solid player, and he's right there on the right there on the fence. Dave asked. Uh, that fourth and one throw uh, from uh, Jones to Saquon against Dallas is the reason why I can't commit to Danny Jones long-term. Too many times in big situations, he misfires or panics on critical plays. He's not the guy, uh, but I don't know who uh, they will get to replace him. Too early to say who they will replace him with. I have felt all along, and I have not had my mind changed, that the Giants will not make a big dollar offer to Daniel Jones. Now, they might feel they're in a position where they don't like anything else next year and they try to get him back on a, on a reasonable short-term contract. I don't know if Jones will go for that. Yeah, he probably won't. He'll try to go out there and get himself a deal somewhere. I think he can get himself a deal somewhere in the league. I think he's an NFL starting quarterback. I don't think he's a star. I think he is an NFL starting quarterback. Um, but he's more legs than arm, and he's been coached well this year. Coached away from the big mistake, but he still makes a pretty decent amount of them. Rich, I'm a big Romo fan. I can only imagine what he could have done with this defense. Do you think he's worthy of the Hall of Fame? I do not. I don't think Romo's a Hall of Famer. Uh, I think he's short of that. I think he was talented, but I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. Um, Christina asks, if the Yankees don't resign Judge, how would you use the money to retool the roster? In a myriad of ways. Remember, you're talking about an astronomical amount of money. You're talking about probably $40 million in the near term per year. The Yankees can, can spend that in a variety of ways. There's a lot of good players they, and a lot of different ways they can go, but I'm not going to give you different ways right now because I want to see who's still out there when we get a definitive answer on Judge. The day that happens, if Judge does go somewhere else, and I don't think Judge will, but if he does get a big offer that moves him, and I think he'd only go to San Francisco. I don't think he'll go to L.A. I think he could go to the Giants. Um, if he does, I don't think it means disaster for the Yankees in any way. Uh, I think they can, in multiple players, fill his void. And I actually think it allows them to retool who they are. It allows them to put Stanton in a particular slot, which they've never been able to do. It also 
will allow them to shape the team. I would be very open to trading Torres now and reshaping the infield. Very open. You'd love to get rid of Donaldson. I don't see how that's humanly possible, to be honest with you. I don't think anyone is going to help you in that regard. be very surprised if that happens. But let's wait to see what Judge does, and then we'll see what's left on the free agent market at that moment, and then we'll go from there. But listen, if the Yankees lose Judge, they're going to get a big bat. There's no question. But they should get a versatile bat. They have power. They have home run numbers. They have Rizzo. They have Stanton. They have home run numbers. They need a versatile player. They need a player who can spread the wealth throughout the offense, okay, and is a versatile player. And um, if the Yankees got overly left-handed, I would not mind that a bit. They've been overly right-handed for years. Um, Mike asks, what I'd love to hear is what it was like with you and Dog during the years when it came to ratings, okay? You guys were on top year after year, which we definitely were. Uh, what was that like? Uh, it was great. Uh, did you monitor ratings very closely? Okay, do you want, uh, who, who were, were you aware of competition? Did you discuss it on a regular basis with management? The answer is yes, 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 yes. Ratings are enormously important. Uh, we had multiple, we had, we, now when we were rolling along and we were way out in front and we were for many, many years, we didn't hear that much about it because there wasn't much to tell. I mean, for years, I'll give you an example. Now we had no sports competition forever, but we were trying to finish first in the entire city. That was, we never looked at it as finishing first in sports. We looked at it as finishing first in the entire city. So our competition for a long time, we didn't have any. Then, okay, they first told me when we started that we, you know, wouldn't beat those political talk shows. We destroyed them. They were never an issue. And our only competition either was Light FM in the afternoon, which we couldn't program against. It was just whether we won or they won. And then it was Opie and Anthony forever. Opie and Anthony, we kept them behind us for like five years, and they were nipping at our heels, and they were our competition. And then they passed us for like three or four years where they were first and we were second every book. First it was we were first and they were second every book for years. And then we were, they were first and we were second for like seven, eight, ten straight books. It was like one, two, one, two, every book. We were always first or second. We rarely, if we had third, that was a terrible book. We rarely were third. We were either first or second, almost like every book for like 15 years. So we rarely were third, very rarely. Um, the only time we went to third or fourth during the baseball strike, we, we dropped uh, to like fourth for a couple of books when there was no baseball. That hurt us. But um, otherwise, it was oh, And then when Opie Anthony left, they had that problem with St. Patrick's Cathedral and the whole thing with the church and everything. Um, and they got bounced. We went right back to first and were there forever for the rest of our careers until we split up. And then I was first for, you know, the first 
11 years or 10 years or however long it was. And then I got, I only got beat once by a sports show. And that was the last book I ever did. And that was borderline. I mean, it was very close. And that was the only one I ever got beat in, in all the years by a sports show. I only got beat once by a sports show in one book in my whole life. And was there for 140 books or 150 books, something like that. We finished first. We finished first. Over, I finished first over 100 times. So, I mean, we finished first a lot. Um, that's counting weekends, too. I finished first on weekends a lot. Um, uh, as far as did we talk about a lot? Yeah, we did. I mean, Chernoff was very big on the ratings. He talked to all the shows about the ratings. But we didn't have week-to-week meetings unless there was something wrong. But we always looked at the ratings every week. I, I think I did a little more than Dog, but we'd always at least know what they were. Remember, they first, when we started, were monthly. They were not weekly. And then they became weekly in radio. In the beginning, they were monthly, so we didn't have that much talk because it was only came in once a month. Lawrence asked, uh, I've been a listener my whole life, and I would think it would be great if you wrote a book about your life. It's really been a story that you dealt with a lot of tough breaks. Hey, everybody gets tough breaks, okay? Did I have some growing up? Yeah, but you know what? I'm sure everybody has some. Maybe mine were a little more acute than others, okay? I didn't have a father growing up, uh, never had a father. Um, so uh, uh, that's part of it, you know, kind of threw me into the, you know, work force at a young age, like nine. But, hey, you know, in the retrospect, it was probably very good. Uh, made me independent. Uh, my mother worked, so we were like the latchkey kids, so we were very independent. Um, and sports was a big part of our life. Uh, that's just, it really was. Uh, we played it, we lived it, we watched it, we loved it. I mean, that was what, that's what we did. Our house was like a locker room with, with a mom there. You know, and we, you know it was, she was busy a lot because she worked. She worked full time. Um, but, you know, we were last key kids. When we'd come home, there'd be no one there. And they, we'd have dinner sitting on the stove. We had to heat it up. That was basically it. Or a dollar to go to A&W. And I still remember, we'd walk down to A&W, and they used to have these stores that were A&W, they had stores. And A&W stores had hamburgers and stuff. You could get, think about this. When I was a kid, my mom would leave a dollar for myself and my brother, Marty. She'd leave us each a dollar and say, go to A&W. We'd walk down to A&W. You could get two cheeseburgers, french fries, and a root beer float for 95 cents. <laughs> How long ago was that? 95 cents. That's it. It was exactly. In, and you know what you see a lot too? Chicken Delight. I, they had this store called like Chicken Delight. Uh, don't cook tonight. Call Chicken Delight. And you, they, would run, they would send you chicken, french fries, and a blueberry muffin. And they would deliver it. And it was a place in Long Beach called Chicken Delight. And my mom would say, Chicken Delight's coming. Okay, she'd leave me a note, say, Chicken Delight's coming, and Chicken Delight would deliver the food. And, you know, it was good. You know, but that's, you know, and then she'd leave, like, you know, things we'd heat up on, on, you know, whether it was, you know, whatever it might be. She'd leave it on a stove. She always saw we ate. I mean, that wasn't ever an issue. Um, Todd asked, while we wait, and as far as the book, I've been through this a lot. Books are hard. And I have a lot of respect for books, so I, I wouldn't want to do a, a bad book. But a lot of people 
who are in our business and aren't authors. Authors are different. But guys who decide to write a book, I got to be honest. First of all, a lot of times they don't even write the book. Somebody writes it for them. See, what happens is they get a, na- a guy who's a name that they think can sell a book. Then they bring in a writer to write the book. And then he writes the book. And then you go out and promote the book. And I'm telling you, you make so many personal appearances promoting a book. If I did that many personal appearances, I wouldn't have to do a book. So if, so if I put together a schedule of, you know, 70 or 80 personal appearances, and that's how many you have to do, counting interviews over the phone and stuff like that and Zoom and everything else, that's how much you have to do to promote a book. I mean, you promote the book a lot for weeks and months on end. They expect a big bang for their dollar. You know, you got to go visit all these shows. You got to go visit... Wall Street, you got to go visit, you know, ring the bell at the stock exchange. You got to go all on all those shows. Then you go on all, there's, you go on anything they can book you on. You know, if you've got a name and they can book you on bigger shows, they book you on those. They book you on non-sports shows. Then you got to do a million interviews. If I just said, hey, I'm going to go out on a, you know, on a tour of making appearances, I probably could make more money than I did if I did a book. So, I mean... That to me is a lot of work. So I'd rather not do it and then do a book. Because I'd rather, I would do a book, I'd have to write it. I would, because I wouldn't be happy if I didn't write it. Because I don't want somebody else writing what I, my thoughts. I don't want to do that. Even though they come from you, it's still not you if you don't write it. So it's not something I've, I came close once. I told you, I brought a treatment. Guy came to me and asked me to do it. Pretty big literary guy. So I, he asked me to do a treatment. I did a treatment. I put in a couple of anecdotes. And I went and had a meeting. And the book people loved the anecdotes. I had them roaring at the table. I told them a couple of stories, you know, through the years. Some of the stories I've told you, some of the stories I haven't told you. Um, I've been around and seen a lot of stuff. And so they loved it. They wanted me to do it in the worst way. And then I just said, eh, I don't know. And I backed off. So I haven't done it. I don't, and I don't think I will. You know, I, I, I honestly don't think that will happen. Um, this is Todd. Why? Well, we wait to see if Jacob Degrom signs with the Mets. I think he will. I, I don't think he's going to leave. I think, I think he's going to wind up staying here. I don't think he's etern- is you know overwhelmingly happy here. And if somebody makes him a crazy offer like the Texas Rangers in a state that has no state income tax, uh, he might jump at it. But push comes to shove. I think he's coming back. And Todd's point is, how about signing Alonzo and McNeil and guys like that? Listen, they're going to sign those guys. Alonzo's going nowhere. McNeil's going nowhere. That's not an issue. The Grom's an issue. And the Mets can't just rely on the Grom and Scherzer because, as you saw this year, they're not kids and they're vulnerable to injuries. So you got to take that into account. They didn't get a full year out of either one. So, and they, you know, let's be honest, when the, everything was on the line, they didn't do the job. Those last couple of weeks, they didn't do the job. So having them wasn't enough. 
Now, they've already re-signed the reliever, which is good because he's been very good. Richard emails, Eagle fan here, okay, so is my brother John. Is Jalen Hurts my franchise quarterback, Richard asks? Yes, yes, yes. But let me say one thing about Hurts in the NFL right now. And this is going to be a statement that, you know, some NFL people aren't going to like. Okay. The running quarterback and what offensive coordinators are doing to defenses with the running quarterback is embarrassing defenses now. And it's time that defenses put the hammer down on these running quarterbacks, which means you got to start to make them pay for this just outwardly. See, it used to be I got a guy who's a, who's a, who's a quarterback, who's athletic, who can run. I'm going to use him to run some, okay? But I'm going to use him to be very good at escaping or taking a third and long where he drives the receivers down the field and then runs and gets the first down. And, boy, we got to put a spy on him. we got to count for him, blah, blah, blah. That's what a Starbuck or an Elway did in their prime with their legs. Now you have these guys. They're basically running backs and they're quarterbacks. They're in the offense as running backs, and they just basically thumb their nose at the defense and say, hey, they run. you never would see quarterbacks run down the field and take on tacklers. You see this all the time now. You know what? Shouldn't happen. You can't let quarterbacks run down the field with abandon and act like nothing's going to happen to them. You got to make them pay for those. You got you to put, put the hit on them. You got to hit those guys. You got to make them hurt a little bit. You got to make them go back to the go back to the huddle thinking about doing that again. It's gotten out of hand. The running quarterback has gotten defiant in the NFL. He needs to be put in his place. And the defenses can do it. Anything these defenses accentuate, they can do. And it's time they put the hammer down and make it a little more dangerous. And I'm not talking about cheap shots and head hunting and hitting guys out of bounds or hitting guys late. What I'm talking about is you're seeing these guys now. They don't even slide anymore. They're running backs. Fields runs 15 times a game. That's why he's already hurt. But you got to make these guys think about this and make it a little more scary for a quarterback to run. Because that has put a hole in these defenses right now. The running quarterback is killing these guys. Hey, when Fields came, I mean, when Hurts came out the other night against Green Bay, he ran right down the field for a touchdown. Boom, boom, 25, 23. 11, boom, already end zone. All right, that was easy enough. Flip the ball, the referee, and let's go. I mean, give me a break. You can't allow that to go on. That's intolerable. And defenses need to level the playing field now against running quarterbacks, if you get my drift. Because if you notice, they do in the postseason. 
guys don't run like that in the postseason because you run the first time in the postseason, you're going to be rubbing something when you go back to the huddle because they're going to hit you. They're going to say, hey, you're not doing this all day. And that's why running quarterbacks have not had a great deal of success in the postseason, but they're killing defenses in the regular season. But is Hurts your guy? Yes. I mean, his productivity right now is off the charts. Absolutely off the charts. Christopher, the anniversary of JFK, just passing. All passes every year, as we know. Uh, We all know what JFK's memory means to you. That's true. I'm sure you've you've told the story many times on the air, but can you go through the day... What you remember. I, you know, I did this on the air so many times through the years. You know, so I, I, I don't think I need to repeat all that. But um, it's amazing how much that still has such a grip on, on the nation. And that's going to lessen now because a lot of the people who were impacted by him, either as young adults, they're getting old now. Even guys who were in grade school when he died, like me, who were in second and third grade when he passed, you know, we're not, not, you know, uh, we're we're starting to push 65 and 70. So that's an issue. You know, it fades a little bit because the people who remember him become fewer and fewer and fewer, you know. They mentioned the TV show recently and said that's the last living person off that cast. It was Hogan's Heroes. The last living member of the cast died the other day. And you say, wow, the whole show's gone. You know, you grew up on a show like that, and then the whole show's gone. You say, hey, time, as you find out, never stops moving. It just never stops ticking. It's relentless, and it's undefeated. Uh, Fred Nice Taven, I know you're a guy who's high on Vrabel. Yes. Do you think he is in the top five of current NFL, NFL coaches? I do. I think he is extremely productive. I think he does a great job with what he has, and his teams seem to always be there. I think he's a very, very underrated coach. Uh, Rich in Connecticut, I am assuming you have at least a few pieces of sports memorabilia. Are you a fan of collecting? Hey, if you know me, you know there is no one who's less of a fan of the memorabilia business or collecting than I am. I do not like the business. I never have. I've been an outspoken critic of the business, which has annoyed a lot of people in the business. I'm not their favorite person because I tell it to you straight. A lot of times you're getting ripped off. And you're overpaying dramatically for stuff that it's just a joke. It really is. You know, a game used thing that a guy changed his jersey every inning or put the sneak, put the shoe spikes on or put the football shoes on or put the spikes on for one inning and took them off and sold them as game used for a couple of grand. Give me a break. That's not what this is meant to be about. Like everything else, the pendulum has swung way out there. And the idea of authenticity and, and guys who are authenticators, the authenticators are full of blowing. They're just trying to make a buck. They don't know what's real and what's not real. 
they did a thing on TV with it at Real Sports. The guy said, this is real, this is real, this is real. He was like 0 for 8. And there's a lot of there's a lot of mad stuff out there that hasn't been signed by the person you think it's been signed by. It's just the way the world works. I mean, it's not, I don't like the whole process. I, I, I just don't. Now, as far as the other part, do I have a lot of memorabilia? No, I'm not a collector of anything except uh, JFK books, books about JFK or written by JFK people, people who worked with them, people. I, I tried to collect those. Th- those and they haven't cost me a lot of money. I've got them in used bookstores, and people have sent them to me. So I mean, I haven't spent a lot of money on it, but th- those are my possessions. Um, I do have a couple of things that were given to me through the years by different people in the business, or different coaches, different players uh, who I've had a relationship with, who have given me things. Um, or giving me his presents. Um, I do have some Mickey Mail stuff that people have given me as presents. Um, I do have a, the most valuable thing I probably have is a Richard Nixon signed baseball, which is pretty weird to have a Richard Nixon signed baseball, but I do. But I always wanted to get a Kennedy ball, but the Kennedy balls, there's only a few of them, and they're astronomical in price. This is very few baseballs that he actually signed. You can find a catalog somewhere where they're going to charge you 40, 50 grand for the JFK ball. The Nixon ball is probably worth 10. I've had a Nixon ball for a long time. Um, I got it a long time ago. And it's clearly Nixon. I mean, it's, he, you know, he was in the stadium, the whole thing. Um, I don't have a lot of other stuff. What I do have is stuff that teams sent me. Like when I retired, every team sent me a gift. Some of them sent me jerseys. Some of them sent me pieces of the stadium or different things that dealt with their history or really nice stuff. So I, I do have that stuff. Um, but no, I don't have a whole lot of memorabilia. I'm not a memorabilia guy. I've never, I've never actually bought a piece of memorabilia for any amount of money. Uh, I've never done that. Uh, I don't buy anything. And I don't collect stuff. I've never asked a player for something. I've never asked a player to sign something for me or, you know, do something for me or do, do something for my kids. I've never done that. I don't think I ever have. Maybe once or twice. I mean, I've taken my kids out to, you know, the stadium and, you know, they've met players and players have signed stuff for them. But that's just, you know, in the case of being at the game, that's the only thing I've done, you know, uh, when they were small. I mean, so uh, that I've done. But as far as collecting anything, no, I've never been involved in that stuff. I don't have a whole bunch of stuff uh, in that regard. Um, just not my thing. Um, Victor asks, if Phil Simms didn't get hurt in the 90s season and he goes on to win his second Super Bowl, would he be in the Hall of Fame? Yes. 100% yes. If he was the MVP of Super Bowl that year that uh, they won, where Otis was the MVP, when they... Uh, Beat the Bills. If he had, uh, remember he got hurt on the Saturday afternoon against the Bills. Um, if he had, uh, uh, played that year instead of Hostetler, I do think he'd be in the Hall of Fame. I really do. I don't think there's any issue. Just like I think Eli having two Super Bowl MVPs 
And Phil Simms might have played the best Super Bowl game ever played. So, I mean, he was 22 at 25 for 275 uh, and three touchdowns. That's as good as it gets in the win over the Broncos. Uh, 20, 20, let me get it right, 22 of 25, I think, for 271 and three touchdowns off the top of my head for, uh, for Phil in that win over the, uh, over the Broncos. Um, he played brilliantly, and I think he would be a Hall of Famer, absolutely. Uh, we'll see you on Friday with the uh, Football Friday podcast uh, as we get a little deeper uh, into this stretch run and uh, welcome in the month of December. So uh, talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli Podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.